Ladies and gentlemen, the Retro Network proudly presents to you the Trios Tag Team Champions of the World, the Masked Library Kevin Hellions, Sweet Maddie Treats, and the Educator of Excellence, collectively known as the House Show. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of The House Show. It is me, your host, Maddie Treats. And with me, as always, are my tag team partners. Together, we form the Trios, tag team champions of the world. To my right, the educator of excellence. Educator, how are you doing today? How's your quarantine going? Oh, hello, hello, my good sirs. Not too bad. Uh, tiptoeing through what is now eight, well, week eight away from my classroom. So I'm trying to still keep the uh, the juices flowing. Uh, here we are with In Your House, Beware of Dog. Looking forward to the chatter uh part a and part b of this pay-per-view episode will be interesting to discuss about the goings on and uh yeah just uh tiptoeing my way through quarantine as always yeah how is the um virtual classroom going i know you do a little bit um on the podcast but you really you do it in life as well so uh (laughs) how is the google classroom uh, Google Classroom is doing what we can do, you know, assign the assignments, try to give the kids the feedback, and every once in a while do a Zoom or a Google Meet just to put a put a picture with a face and uh, making sure things are as going as well as they can be during these troubling times. When you do the Zoom, um, do you do it in Educator Studios with the Hasbros behind you? Do you do it right there? <laughs> I make sure I either tilt the... Uh, Tilt the uh, the the laptop in a way so that they can't really pick up on uh, what's going on in the in uh, the game room land. Yeah, you don't want the, you don't want anyone to break into your break into your yeah. uh, place and try to steal yeah. uh, those Hasbro's. So yeah, definitely not. <laughs> All right, and then to my left, uh, it is none other than the man, the myth, the legend, the masked library, Kevin Hellions. Kevin, how are you today? Good, good, good. Oh, hang on, hang on, guys. I got two windows open here. Let me refresh the other one. Uh, no, still can't go back to work. No, no, yeah, you, yeah. you're still not at work. But even when you were at work, were you ever really working? Uh, the most recent job or any job? <laughs> that is, you know, uh, I've always lived by it's all a work. So uh, to not be working, I feel like we're getting worked somehow. Just don't work yourself into a shoot. <laughs> you jabroni mark. All right. So anyways, <laughs> um, so how's your quarantine going, Kevin? Anything exciting going down? Nothing exciting. I'm, I'm just trying to get through as much stuff as I can. I actually have uh, a notepad thing uh, app going on my phone for everything I read, watch, listen to, whatever during this quarantine. And when it's all done, I'm going to see how much I got through for my own curiosity. I did uh, find a nice little Zen calming thing, and I bag and board comics. So I'm, I'm all out. I need to buy more bags and boards now. Do you do you put on an episode of Wizards in the background while you're doing it to kind of get the full comic book, um, go into full comic book land, if you will? I, I have been known to, and then actually as I was going through it, I found all of my old Wizard magazines going back to 1991, and so uh, I'm, I'm reading some of them again. And the crazy thing is, that's probably the first time they've been read since I originally bought them. 
Uh, so some stuff, it's weird what I remember and weird what I forget. So that, it, it's been fun, you know? I mean, it's not like I don't have, you know, multiple bookshelves of things I've never read. Let me read a comic magazine from near 30 years ago. Yeah, that's, that is that is one thing I've been doing, too, is just putting on um, basically retro network podcasts um, and, and just put them on in the background, whether I'm playing Madden, making dinner, uh, making lunch. Uh, just a lot of making food is going on in this in this uh, apartment. Uh, one thing I did want to talk about, though, is I was scared for my life the other day. Um, not really my life. I shouldn't say that, but I forgot I owned a car and I actually <laughs> went outside to check to see if my just to make sure my car is still there because I hadn't seen it in five, six, almost a week of not driving. And I live in a um like a city area so have you guys got that i know um educator you are literally bunkered down in your own little world so uh not so much that but have you guys worried about anything that's on the outside of your house being stolen during this time not stolen uh, my car uh, we have two cars for the household my car and then the family vehicle and we've been just focusing on the family vehicle so my car has literally been sitting in my driveway since uh, the quarantine star the, or the state sh- statewide shutdown. So I've been trying to at least go out, start it once a week and roll it back and forth in the driveway. But my brakes are locking up calipers or I'm sure I'm going to have to do get a brake job done on the car because I haven't been driving it. Kevin, anything stolen from your lawn, like some lawn gnomes maybe or something? Not, not yet, but uh, it's funny you mentioned it because we actually did have something go missing around Christmas time. So I've been very, very nervous and careful uh, anytime I know a package is coming. And I had one arriving the other day from uh, my friends on another podcast network, um, another podcast at Odds with Wrestling. But they were sending me something, and I was nervous about it getting stolen. Coincidentally, I just happened to be sitting in the kitchen eating something when the mail showed up, or else I would have absolutely missed it. Yeah, I, I think uh, the porch pirates are going to be out a lot during all this quarantine. Yeah, so look out for Kyrie Sane in your uh, in your front lawn. So uh, Jean and Jean Pierre Lafitte. Yeah, that's right, Jean Pierre Lafitte. Um, one thing too, I, I've also before we get into the pay per view is you know last week I talked about uh, watching Lucha Underground uh, and getting really uh, for the first time really watching that, just kind of really enjoying that show. Well, I found another obsession, guys. Uh, when it comes to television, and it's reality television. It is none other than the great food truck race on the Food Network. Um, <laughs> this show is fantastic, guys. Uh, and it got me thinking, and, and I wanted to bring it up to the brain trust here. I think we should open a wrestling-themed food truck. What do you guys think? You guys in? Where where would we be? Where would our primary, uh, what do we think our primary location would be are we going western new york central new york northern new york i don't know i don't know that's why i wanted to bring it up to the brain trust. all i wanted all i want to do though is get themed um wrestlers like themed food items uh and really make sure i uh i'm serving my customers okay so i do have a list of um food items that are wrestling themed that i want to bring up to you guys and then i want to see if you guys have any food items that are wrestler themed uh, that you guys can also contribute. Okay. All right. All right. So for some appetizers, I got Sonia deviled eggs, Sonia deviled mm-hmm. eggs. Okay. Uh, 
Beef Slater Sliders. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> Beef Slater Sliders. Um, of course, I want to have like some soups on there. Uh, and that would, of course, be Soup Flex City, um, where we have, uh, of course, Ramen Reigns. That's an easy one, right? Everyone likes the Ramen Reigns there. Um, another appetizer is Brett Hartichoke Dip. I don't know. I just really like that one. I really like that one. And then we, of course, would sell hot dogs and have some Sasha Franks on there. And then, uh, yeah, I guess Vinny Mac and Cheese was was another one. Uh, do you guys have anything you would like to add to our wrestling-themed food truck? Uh, how about some Alberto Doritos? <laughs> <laughs> just selling bags of Alberto Del Ritos. Yes, <laughs> that one's great. <laughs> All right, uh, uh, we can we can uh, we can go summer themed here. Okay, yeah. we can get some uh, Samoa sloppy joes. Oh, there we go. You know what I thought of too but, is if it was brunch, we could do some samosa joes. So instead of mimosas, we do samosa joes. And with your with your Samoa sloppy Joel, how about uh, uh, sloppy joes? How about some uh, Michael Coleslaw? Michael Coleslaw Coleslaw. with some. Book iced tea to drink. Booker iced tea? Yeah. I like it, Kevin. Um, you know, because we are a brain trust here. What do you what do you have? Anything that you want to add to the, the uh, food? Um, I, you know, I, I got everything from, uh, you know, big meals to little meals, like a, a Cesaro salad. Okay. There we go. Yeah. Um, big Van Taters. You know what? You ruined my segue into the pay-per-view because I was going to do It's Time, It's Time, It's Vader Tot Time. <laughs> but you ruined it, oh, Kevin. So I, I ruined lots of things. Um, okay. Yoko, Yoko Tuna. <laughs> Yoko Tuna sandwich. Oh, Yoko Tuna melt. Oh, my God. That's Yoko great. Tuna melt. I love it. <laughs> always get uh, some macho nachos going on. Yeah, could always do nacho man. I, I, now, could anyone eat from this food truck? Yeah, anyone could. I, I wasn't sure if I should go with the one, two, three kids meal or Jerry Lawler's uh, kids meal. All right. So that's enough of that. Why don't we move on <laughs> to our next? Um, just so you guys are aware, there, I, I did look up. I did do some research. There is two wrestling themed food trucks. Uh, number one was ODB from Impact Wrestling, actually under right. food truck. Yeah, and she yeah, would do. It was called Meet and Greet, where M E A T and Greet, uh, and then Beyond Wrestling actually has a Championship Melt grilled cheese wrestling themed food truck. Nice. And that's in like the the, the ODB one. Like she she went at it hardcore, and I think it burnt down at one point. So she yeah. did a GoFundMe or something to get a new one. But was like really into it, like passionate about it. Beyond one, I hadn't even heard. Do they have Beyond Burgers on this as well? Uh, I only saw the grilled cheese. I didn't really go into depth and look at their menu. Of course, it's kind of hard. Uh, you know, food trucks aren't really opening up uh, at this time. Um, just at least in, in in this area of the country currently. So, uh, but yeah. So I think it, it's time. It's time. It's Vader Tot time. The other one was Under Undertaters. You know, those were the other two. So, uh, but that brings us into. Uh, well, thank you for that, guys. We'll be opening our food truck very soon. Uh, not, it's be called not in your house, I guess. Um, why don't we move into in your house eight? Beware of dog. Uh, fascinating, fascinating pay per view because of 
what a train wreck <laughs> the whole the whole pay-per-view was. Um, of course, we are in South Carolina, uh, Florence. Uh, the first night of this drew 6,000. And then they the power went out. There was a thunderstorm. And I'll bring Educator in to really explain exactly what happened here. Um, and then they ended up re-showing half the matches on Tuesday night on an encore. Uh, and that was in North Charleston, um, South Carolina. And that drew... 4,500 people. So, Educator, do you just kind of want to give us an overview of what exactly happened, uh, why this was on two nights? And this really was the um, kind of the proof of concept for a two-night WrestleMania. So go right ahead. There you go. So the original card certainly was slated for uh, the Sunday in Florence, South Carolina, and uh, certainly all the trucks were there and everything was ready to go for a full blown pay-per-view night and um in the middle of the show actually it was towards the beginning of the show they ended up getting the free-for-all match in and another dark match in they ended up opening up the pay-per-view show with the opening match and vince mcmahon even alluded to on commentary to uh you know to bear with us um we might be experiencing some technical difficulties due to the storm outside and he alluded to this um on the live pay-per-view stream the first match completes. Um, we end up in an interview for what would be the second match. Uh, and we can hear the background, uh, the music playing the background for one of the first com- uh, entrants for the second match. And then as we cut back to the ring, all of a sudden the pay-per-view live feed goes completely blank. And depending upon what cable vision network you are a part of, you know, it was either a completely blue screen or you got like experiencing technical difficulty or so on. And um, so for almost like an hour, the pay-per-view audience was just completely left without any kind of live feed. And the power ended up going on uh, midway towards the end of the pay-per-view. And as a result, they ended up shortening uh, a match that was on live so that then they could at least during the live time slot, they could have the pay-per-view, the Shawn Michaels versus British Bulldog match, to at least re-air live on pay-per-view. And during that main event on the live pay-per-view, once the power came back on, the WWF and Vince had announced that the replay would be offering uh, to the paid subscribers of the original pay-per-view, um, and the matches that were missed or lost uh, would also be aired as well. Now, what wasn't explained as were the matches that had happened during the blackout. Somehow they were able to videotape those, and those were going to play. Not none of that was clear, but they ended up doing uh, live matches over in the second show, which ended up being Tuesday in Charleston. And so three of the matches in Charleston that uh, ended up playing live as well as them finishing off uh, what was essentially a superstars taping uh, for future use on Saturday shows. Yeah. So talking with you guys, I know Kevin brought up the fact that he thought you guys were watching this live. Kevin, is that how you remember it? Yeah. I mean, watching it at, at home live. Yeah. But I remember just wondering what the heck is going on and then there's also you know i was was thinking about it for watching live and even watching it at the arena too watching live it's like you've already paid the money 
um, pay-per-views usually started a replay immediately after they ended. So these in your houses were two hours. It would have been like, say, seven to nine, and then nine o'clock they would start airing it again. So, you know, if if your if your VHS messed up or your cable or whatever, you could usually rewatch it. But I got to imagine thinking, all right, you don't know where the issue is yet. Um, eight minutes into the show was Vince McMahon saying, we're having technical difficulties. But, I mean, cable would go out sometimes. Uh, if you had satellite dish at home, that could go out anytime. You know, someone sneezes and all of a sudden your satellite's gone for a little while. So I feel like we didn't know what was going on. But then I was thinking, imagine being one of the fans in attendance. Like, what would you do? Like, I think the three of us would be like, they're still putting on matches. Let's just hang out. But if you had kids there in the dark and they had like a, a security lighting thing come up, it kind of reminded me of like um, when you go into the movie theater late and they got the tr- their lighting going like just enough to see. It, it looked like that in the arena, like just security lighting. If I had kids with me, I probably would have been like, screw it, I'll go home. Like maybe I can get a refund here. Yeah. Do, do you guys know, did they offer refunds for the people that were there? Because they still put on the matches technically. Um, was that just kind of a way for them to cover their tracks and say, okay, we, at least we did offer the event, even though the power did go out. I'm not aware of whether or not they offered a refund live to those that were the fans in attendance. And it was by certainly no means like WWS fault. They had, you know, backup equipment. They had generators to run their own equipment to put on the show it's just the physical building itself that the backup materials would have been plugged into. The building itself had completely shut down. So it wasn't certainly by any means anything on the fault of the WWF. I know that for the pay-per-view audience, the options were that you could uh, request from your cable company a full-fledged refund or you could uh, just get the live stream of the replay of the pay-per-view two days later uh, and, and just watch that show. So you ended up getting technically the entire show that you still paid for. And I, I mean, also like, cause in between shows we'll, we'll look stuff up and, you know, podcasts and YouTube and interviews and articles and all sorts of stuff. But it sounds like as soon as power went out, they start scrambling to figure out what's going on and came up with two, if not three ideas for every match. Right. Here's the original plan. Here's what we do. If the power stays off, here's what we do. If the power comes back on, because if the power comes on in theory, we come back onto pay-per-view as well. But they also knew with, with some big angles going on here, we're not giving these angles away for free to this crowd. Pay-per-view is a thing. Internet's getting bigger. Dirt sheets are bigger at this time. You could do, you know, um, your territory days, you could do the same ending in five, six different towns for the loop. And people in the other towns didn't interact, so no one knew. No one knew, oh, this guy's going to win because you didn't talk to anyone in the other town, you know, 100 miles away or whatever. So you could do that. They're not going to do the same endings for this crowd if no one sees, sees it. Like, out of nowhere, it becomes a house show. Really, it's just for the people in attendance. So they change the endings. But um, again, I mean, we know when it, you know, we know they get it back for the main event, but they didn't know. They could have been right in the middle of a match. They could have been in the middle of something ridiculous just being done to kill time. And then you have to have something going on the TV when everyone comes back. Uh, I was able to find <coughs> it's edited off of WWE Network, but I found it on Daily Motion, a little like, 
four or five minute clip of Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler when they get some of the satellite feedback, just trying to communicate with fans watching at home, which is edited out now, but it went through that original feed, which I'm sure I'm sure in the tape trading community and all, there's probably an unedited original feed of this whole two hours. And every time they pop, you know, in and out of the satellite. Right. Yeah. And, and just looking at the, the results from the first night of it, um, obviously on the, on the pay-per-view and we will talk to this in just a second. Cause you know, we do cover the WWE network version of the show. Um, but you know, you have your two dark matches, which were smoking guns, uh, getting the tag belts from the Godwins, which we kind of alluded to on the last podcast about Sonny jumping from tag team to tag team, getting the belts. Um, and, uh, Bob Holly versus Isaac Yankum. Then it gets into your pay-per-view with your first match, which is Mark Merrow versus Triple H. Um, and then the pay-per-view goes dark pretty much after that match. Um, as as Matt was saying, when you when you listen to that interview, you hear the music in the back, and then the network feed cuts to what should have been your main event. Now, uh, one match really sticks out to me, and I just kind of wanted to bring it up as I'm, I'm going through this, because the three matches that it's sk- there's four matches from Mark Marrow to um, the Shawn Michaels British Bulldog match. OK, but on the night two or whatever you want to call it on that Tuesday, we only get three of them. OK, the one match that is left off is Jake Roberts versus Justin Bradshaw uh, with Uncle Zebakaya in his corner, which it says on Wikipedia was a 30 second match. Yeah. So why one was that left off night two? And was that one of the things where the match started and they're like, oh, we got power back. Let's just try to rush our main event on to get it out. Is that the kind of idea behind it? Essentially, what had happened was when the power went off, um, there were scenarios uh, that Hellions had had alluded to scenario a do this finish if uh the the lights stay off scenario b do this finish if the power turns on mid-match scenario c do the original planned finish if your entire match is completely lit up during the uh jake roberts bradshaw match the power came on seconds after the bell and they went to a quick finish so that then they would have as much time as possible to at least try to deliver on the main event to try to salvage what they could from the pay-per-view. And I guess the decision was made during the power outage that they were going to rebook night two and offer it to the pay-per-view audience on Tuesday. It was Justin Hawk Bradshaw at the time, right? Right, right. I'm guessing he won. I've, I somehow no. missed this. Jake Roberts won with the DDT. Jake Roberts won it? Quick DDT, okay. boom. Well, I mean, also, Bradshaw wasn't anything at this point. He came in just as a, a big, wild country dude. Yep. Had Uncle Zabakaya, who was Dutch Mantel, for those that don't know, just try to get manager. And then I think he rolls from this into New Blackjacks, uh, rolls this into Acolytes, and then APA, and then just fumbles around for a little while until he reinvents himself as JBL. We know Jake Roberts. This has got to be one of his last appearances in WWE during this run. Was that match supposed to be on the pay-per-view to begin with? Do we know? Uh, I mean, with it just being a throwaway and then not even delivering it on night uh, two, 
it to me it would seem like that would have been like a dark match or something just to get Jake on in front of everyone. I, d- I don't know. Um, my I, head, I really don't know whether or not it was originally slated, uh, but it, it is a weird omission in the fact that only three of the four that were during the power outage of the original Sunday live feed um, ended up they rebooked and uh, presented it to the the audience. All right, yeah, so why don't we start by getting into the actual pay-per-view that's on the network as it is. Um, one thing I pointed out to you guys, which I thought was very odd, is the poster for beware of dog which uh features vader on the poster saying it's vader time now you would think that the poster would have your main event on it um any reason why the promotional poster had vader on it vader was supposed to be the original plan when he came in was he'd be in the world title picture at this point um upcoming in your house pay-per-view subtitled it's time it was supposed to be vader and the the rumor was pretty much call it like a two out of three scenario. It was going to be Sean beating Vader at SummerSlam, Vader beating Sean at the title for a later pay-per-view, and then Sean getting it back. Um, but yeah, Vader would have had a, a title run coming up, so he was being built up for it. Didn't happen for many reasons. Uh, that SummerSlam would have been this August Um and this pay-per-view's in May. But yeah, I was just building them up into that world title picture that just didn't happen. Okay, so let's start the pay-per-view where we got to ask the question, is Shawn Michaels a home wrecker? Because uh, that's really what the promotional um, video is really going for, is Shawn was hitting on Diana Smith uh, backstage, and uh, they had a mystery woman kind of saying that Shawn was a womanizer and all this sort of all the sort of goodness. What do you guys remember from that storyline? Nothing too in particular stands out regarding this other than, you know, let's, you know, get another heart family member on TV. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if they're doing a favor to Brat, to Owen, to Bulldog. I mean, what, just what her, her, her deal was her contract, you know, her, for her appearances talking about Diana Hart Smith here. Um, I guess it was just a way to, you know, stir in a little bit of the the entertainment part, uh, the drama, I guess, to the storyline in order to justify Bulldog again being in the title picture. I mean, we we've been talking about the British Bulldog since his original heel turn um, back back the previous year. Bulldog ended up being in the pay per view main event i guess you could say five times in one calendar year and four of those five times were wwf championship matches between his match against diesel at the october pay-per-view in your house that we've already reviewed his match against Bret hart at the december uh pay-per-view in your house now this beware of dog and he ended up um, as a result of the outcome of this pay-per-view, ended up having a rematch at King of the Ring, and then was eventually a part of the J- uh, July pay-per-view main event, six-man tag. So they're they're trying desperately to push the British Bulldog as like one of the main event heels um, in the WWF storyline television, and just adding the whole uh, scenario with the womanizing and and Shawn Michaels supposedly hitting on Diana Hart Smith. I guess it was just another twist in the angle to make Bulldog a little bit more credible, prev- prevalent 
for why he's been sticking around in this main event picture. You know, and it's, I remember a promo when it first started coming out and Sean saying, you know, you're not my type or you're not my league or something like that to Diana. I completely believe, and I have, I have nothing to back this up. This is just my best guess based on other things. This isn't from, you know, anything I've read, watched, listened to, whatever. But I firmly believe that Diana was brought on the road to keep Davy Boy clean. I absolutely think that. And I think that they put themselves in a bad spot. Sean doesn't look like, oh, woe is me. I'm being accused of this thing that I'm innocent of. He looks like a jerk. Even if he's innocent of it, he looks like a jerk. Um, Bulldog and Diana look like liars, opportunists, whatever. And yeah, they're heels, but still, like, no one's painted well here at all in this angle. Which, and, and maybe we'll get to it, it it's, sounds like um, they kind of regretted the angle themselves once they got going. But I, I just don't see it. And actually, I, I was watching this pay-per-view at home, and my wife goes, why are they calling Shawn Michaels home make, a home record? Did he go after someone's wife? I'm like, yes, but that's not what this angle is. But then I was like, well, maybe it is, though. Like, maybe this is kind of like a side joke. Let's take something going on behind the scenes and make an angle out of it. Not that he was going after Diana, but you got the Sean Sonny whatever going on at this point. Um, so, you know, oh, hey, you've, we're, we're certainly not going to push Chris Candido into the main event picture, but let's take this idea and make a story out of it with someone else. A little art imitating life when it comes to uh, professional wrestling. So uh, we never. do. Yeah, I know. Never happens, right? Uh, we do have the. Uh, in your house logo on a dog leash or chain or whatever. Uh, of course, that is the beware of dog, which breaks off the chain and goes into your house. Um, we are greeted by King and Vince. They're doing our commentary and we get right in pretty much into our first match, uh, which is Triple H versus uh, the wild man. Mark Mira with Sable. Uh, we do have, um, you know, some references to the storm during the match. Um, you know, Doc Hendricks does interview uh, Mark Miro with Sable beforehand. Uh, what did you guys think of this match? Anything stand out in particular? Miro's still trying to figure out what his character is supposed to be uh, between his pre-match interview, trying to put over the wild man and the whole welcome to the jungle line, I guess, before he went out to the match. Um, it becomes quite apparent that the package deal of Mark Marrow and Sable, uh, we're starting to see who in reality is the star. You have Mark Marrow making his entrance to his music out by himself, and he's standing there like playing to the crowd for almost 10 seconds before Sable ends up following afterwards through the curtain, uh, following him to the ring. Um, Sable looks absolutely gorgeous, so I understand why Vince McMahon wanted to put her on television. Uh, she looks great, and unfortunately, Mark Marrow is not figuring out who his character is supposed to be. Um, you know, fans of his work in WCW were so used to the the little Richard ripoff kind of deal, and the, the and so on. Um, but as the Wild Man. His move sets were uh, 
very, very different. Um, you got a couple of slips here and there of the old boxing gimmick or the, the kiss that don't miss punch, left-hand punch. Uh, the sunset flip that Marrow hit off the top rope, he dove pretty far across the ring, and that was a, a piece of beauty. That, uh, move, that move is incredible. I mean, absolutely that, incredible. It's unbelievable. I mean, I had that written down. Um, as pretty much the move of the match because that thing's just gorgeous. Um, just one of the things I guess notable of not the match, the arena setup. Uh, if we you look at how the crowd was positioned, and I, I'm not sure why, it's just the way I don't know if it was just low numbers in the arena, and we're trying to fill other spots. But you, if you imagine the main hard camera shot towards the ring. And you would expect the plethora of the crowd to be focused there. But for whatever reason, the floor was like completely the center of the floor. Imagine like three sets of seats from the front rail going straight all the way back to the risers was just completely dead empty space other than some one random guy who decides to slide his chair into the middle and make his own front row seat. And he ended up sitting there the entire night for the show. But behind him, the floor space completely empty, not empty seats, just complete empty space all the way up to the stairs that are behind him. And it's almost as if the stairs from the top of the bowl want to go all the way down to the floor. And then they continue to keep that path completely clear. Other than this one random guy who was sitting dead center by himself in the middle of the front row watching the match. A um, couple of other things of note, the, um, you know, while we are, we've accustomed to the, the whole storyline with Sable having been with Triple H at WrestleMania, uh, or Hunter Hearst Helmsley, as that character was at the time, at WrestleMania, and then um, ended up siding with Mark Barrow, and then Hunter Hearst Helmsley has been coming out with a new, uh, girl on his arm, so to speak, show after show after show. Uh, the particular girl that came out with Hunter Hearst Helmsley, um, when they ended up panning to her and Lawler was talking to her mid-match, she just looked so uncomfortable, almost mortified being there. It, it, it just didn't help the match, and it didn't help help anything translate well for, for the opening bout itself. Uh, the Sunset Flip... Uh, finish while well, the sunset flip almost a close fall finish was amazing to look at um, the unsuspecting finish with the uh, Hunter's Helmsley getting um, uh, sent into the ring post uh, and for the one two three unsuspected finish again Mark Merrill still trying to figure out his character and again slowly starting to see how this isn't exactly working out and unfortunately the girl is is more of the valued commodity than the in-ring performer now now kevin b before you go i do want to bring up on the last pay-per-view you talked about how jerry the king lawler uh, really hated sunny and it was weird because she was a heel and he was he was trying to get heat on himself i guess and he was healing over her and it would have worked better for it to be on a face now this entire match, the King just talks about how ugly Sable is. What did you think of this commentary? Number one. Um, and number two, did it work? Because to me, it's just, it, it just seemed so forced. It's yeah. When you do really good heel announcing, 
it, just like a good movie supervillain, you can agree with them to a point. And it's great when, you know, uh, Jesse Ventura was great at it. Bobby Heenan was, of course, the best at it. But they'll say stuff ridiculous, but they can back it up. There's no way Lawler can back up what an ugly woman this is. Especially when they have Hunter's model for the night sitting next to him. And nothing against whoever this woman is. I'm sure she's a wonderful woman. But compared to Sable, <laughs> she's losing. And I don't know if either of you have ever seen Clue, the movie Clue. But she looks like Madeline Kahn walking around with a short bob black haircut. Very confused what she's doing. That's what Hunter's model for the night reminded me of. It's like Meryl would when when he's when he's in control, when he's doing stuff, he looks good. The the talent is still there, but there's no character there. Like we said, um he sells very well. That's a that was a good long storyline of selling the elbow. Running into the ring posts and hunter working it the entire match. Like it it was a good story. For the match, I thought I, he should have gone with that Marco Mero gimmick, which I enjoyed hearing about. Treats, did you hear about this gimmick? I did not know Marco Mero. See, he wanted to be called Marco Mero, and he would come out to the ring and yell Marco, and the fans would yell back Mero. That can't be real. <laughs> it apparently is very much real. <laughs> I can see that get over on the indies as a joke. Like everyone's in on the joke. I think it would have failed even worse than wild man did. In oh, WWF, it, would, it would be, it would be main eventing in AEW tomorrow. <laughs> Marco Mero and orange Cassidy main event. Let's do it. You, we do not talk ill about orange Cassidy. I'm not talking ill. He's main event in my world. <laughs> this is after curtain call. And funny thing is, in between night one and night two, Sunday for pay-per-view, Tuesday for the redo, Scott Hall debuts on WCW Monday Nitro in between on Monday. So there's a lot happening in wrestling in a couple days here. Um, so we're past the curtain call, which means Triple H is getting buried. He looked good here. He lost fairly. Like I wouldn't say this match is his burial by any means. He might be getting punished a little bit, but I... I Overall, I thought he was fine with this. You do see some smart fans in the front row throwing up the click sign to him. So smart fans are already well aware of what's happening. We have the woman screaming. It's the first time I notice it, but that'll come up during the main event. Uh, but the fans, the fans were interesting. You know, not only making their own seats, but uh, what they're yelling out to the ring here. Um, Sable looks better with less than she did years later with more. Like, she's still just girl off the street being thrown on TV at this point. She's not been doing it that long. Yes, she's married to a wrestler, but, you know, she's not. She doesn't have years in the business. And she looks better here than she looked with more money thrown at her, more makeup, more surgery, gear, whatever. Um, Not the Lawler thought so, but, you know, I think everyone else did watching it. Uh, Meryl, I thought, legit injured his knee. When he fell out of the ring, it was a well done spot. I legit thought, cause I mean, he, he did have injuries in WWF and it's so many years later. I don't remember when those injuries happened. I thought for sure he was injured. Uh, Sable turning around and won't watch the pedigree and Hunter getting mad and going out to the ring, forcing her to watch him beat Mero, which gives Mero time to recuperate and get the win. Just like nice little storytelling. I really enjoyed that. 
that was just fun. It was interesting. It made sense. It got her involved. Like that, that was pretty good. Um, it, it's, it's such a weird pay-per-view, but I thought this was a, a fine match, you know, perfectly serviceable, did what it was supposed to do. Like I was very content with everything going on in this match. Um, on the last pay-per-view, which we all buried, except for the main event, this match is already better than any thing other than the main event from the last one. Well, I mean, that's not really saying much, though. True. <laughs> <So, laughs> sure. You know, this was a, this was a serviceable match, but um, I, I didn't think it was anything to to write home about personally. Um, but yeah, this is where it starts to get interesting, guys. Uh, so we go into the Mr. Perfect interview. Uh, Mr. Perfect is interviewing. Okay, so Jim Cornette, Clarence Mason, Bulldog, Diana, Owen, and then some mystery person in the background will come up because he does he does the summons for for uh, HBK. But uh, okay, so they're releasing the bombshell, the first bombshell of the night. Owen's going to be the manager. Got a manager license. Um, you do hear the gold dust music in the background. You do hear Vincent King talking about the storm. I mean, there's just a lot going on during this that leads to what uh, the second match on the pay-per-view technically is our main event. So uh, uh, you got Doc interviewing HBK and Jose Lothario, and then um, HBK bumps into uh, Mr. Perfect. <laughs> It's just, I don't know how to explain this. Why don't you guys go ahead and take over because I, I'm getting lost already. Maybe I was just hearing that music wrong. I was under the impression during that whole interview that that actually was Steve Austin's music, his ringmaster music, and they were getting ready for the strap match. I could be wrong, maybe. Um, no, I, I think you're right because definitely... I swear Savio was coming to the ring when the power finally went out. Yeah, so I think I'm pretty sure it was the strap match they were getting ready for. So I'm wrong there. I apologize. No, no, no. Um, well, good. So you know, this is why. So I need homework now, educator. So tell me what you want me to do to, to make up extra credit. No, you're good. You're okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, you're hearing Austin, Austin's music in the background. Um, and then we get the backs, you know, we got the interview going on. And then all of a sudden, the, the feed gets weird. And we end up getting to a second backstage interview as we come back to the show. And we have Shawn Michaels being interviewed by Doc Hendricks. Uh, Super Sock Jose Lothario was also with Michaels. Michaels is trying to pep up the his main event match and so on. And interestingly, we watch Michaels walk through the backstage, going to gorilla position to eventually uh, get uh, you know brought into ringside. And there's a weird confrontation uh, that happens in the uh, backstage where he bumps shoulders with Mr. Perfect. So don't know if we're trying to plant seeds for a potential feud in the future between Shawn Michaels and Mr. Perfect. Uh, but we certainly see that there is that potential that they're setting up. And we get Shawn Michaels' music hit, and we are off to the races for what will be the attempted main event. I guess the uh, Michael's Mr. Perfect thing was just to see the reaction because Mr. Perfect at the time was an interviewer. He had been a manager previously, but he hadn't been an active wrestler for a while. Yet the weird thing is he goes on, he's in WCW a short time later. He's in the NWO. He does the West Texas Rednecks gimmick. There was that upstart, what was it, Major League Wrestling or something that he was going to be in for a little bit, but then WWF brought him back at Royal Rumble as a surprise. And I think he was 
XWF, was that was XWF for that one? I think it was XWF. Jimmy Hart. Yeah, Yeah, he looked good there, and everyone's like, "Oh, you can still go." And and for some reason, you know, DBSE Savage, Perfect. There's lots of people in this mid '90s era that's like, "Well, you're too old." Well, they were like late '30s, early '40s. Like I want to say too old, but Vince wanted to go with much younger. Whereas later on, when he's bringing a lot of these guys back, realized their value as announcers, as managers, as agents, or as go out there and wrestle. No, you're not going to be in the world title picture probably, but you could show these guys a thing or two for how to work a match and, right. and lend your experience here. Um, so, yeah, apparently the Mr. Perfect thing was just let's see the reaction. Mr. Perfect at that time probably could have gone with John Michaels and had a hell of a match. Uh, weird edit. Um, Jose Lothario has got to be gone shortly after this, I think. Like, real soon. And you can tell that they're not fully back on the pay-per-view. There's some mic cutting in and out issues. Right. There's some sound, you know, some music issues and all. They're not back 100%, but they got enough to get through the main event and call Dane figure out the rest tomorrow. Uh, Lothario was actually around a lot longer. Uh, you got to think ahead. Survivor Series, uh, the main event with Sid and the camera. Hitting oh, Lothario, yeah. remember that? And then also the Royal Rumble 97. Lothario was there as well, bringing Michaels back in. I mean, for what Michaels became, I just have a shorter window for Lothario. Like, we're so close to DX overall. Like, we're shockingly close to DX being a thing and, you know, the Attitude Era and all. That I forget Lothario was around for a while yeah but lothario was there all the way through until he uh had to drop the title because he lost his smile we didn't see lothario after that maybe lothario was a smile february february 97 maybe his smile was the friends we made along the way crickets Crickets. (laughs) i'm gonna gonna add it in crickets there i have a question for you guys um, how many times have you guys seen someone get summons with attempted alienation of affection? Um, within personal life, or <laughs> just, <laughs> well, is that a real thing that you can summon like alienation of affection? Triple A, like what? Yeah. what where do they come up with that? Well, I mean, this is I. I figured it was a Vincism. This is uh, remember when Osama bin Laden died during Raw? Well, not during Raw. Not like he was there. But um, during the episode of Raw, it comes out that the Navy SEALs killed Osama bin Laden. And what, what did John Cena have to announce in front of the kids? Brought him to a permanent end? Or... Like, they didn't say they killed him. They didn't say they captured him. John Cena had some weird euphemism that, that Vince made him say for it. I don't know. This match, to me, did nothing for me. I did not think this match was good at all, personally. I just... Can you imagine? Just going through and one you 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 buy tickets to your pay-per-view you're excited to go to your event they never come to south carolina they never come to your area you go to the event power outage and then this is your main event well well, your world title match because there is two dark matches after it uh but the ending number one is just an odd ending uh that happens and this is how you go home or this is what you stayed for till your power came back on. I mean, I would be furious as a fan. Um, I think they were trying to make the most of it. 
uh, you know, it was decided during the pay-per-view that they were going to uh, rebook the matches for the Tuesday show. And I think it was communicated to them mid-match that, no, this live show, this live match is not going to be redone on Tuesday, is not going to be rebooked for a live showing on Tuesday. So them finding out mid-match, I, towards the end, I think I feel like they turned it up a little bit more. I, I thought it was an interesting ending with the uh, the double pin and the two referees. Um, and just to, to progress the angle a little bit longer in order to push it towards the next pay-per-view. Um, certainly, I don't feel it was one of Bulldog's best matches, at least compared to the Bret Hart match or even the Diesel match. Um, I think there was frustrations all along, uh, and, and Michaels wasn't doing himself any favors, getting frustrated with a fan in the crowd as well. So it, it, it is what it was. I, I want to let you guys know that attempted alienation of affection has been used legally in 1937. No, oh, okay. As a woman, there was a land dispute, and a woman claimed that her neighbor's wife was trying to get her husband to acquire the land. So there is there is legal precedence. Also, John Cena said that we have caught and compromised to a permanent end Osama bin Laden. Compromised to a permanent end. Sounds like a Lanny Poffo poem. <laughs> <laughs> this match is odd. It's just weird, and I don't know if it's because of the power outage, if this was the plan all along. The commentary is really interesting for the whole time. Like, I'm honestly surprised, especially with the way the ending was. I realized the ending was to lead up to the next pay-per-view, not and you, not be aware of Dog 2, but the actual next pay-per-view. But everything in this match made me think, like, it's going to be redone on Tuesday. Because it, it's just so weird. All right, we got the uh, subpoena. Sean looks full of energy. It looks like it's going to be a good match. Earl Hepner, the referee, is already talking to someone on the side here. And I'm right. assuming it's, let's figure out what's going on tonight for the match. Like, I don't think they came to the ring knowing the plan or if they were on the air, or if they're still on the air, anything. Uh, I got a bunch of quotes from Vincent King here. Um, we can't give much validity to Marty Jannetty. I don't remember, did Marty, was Marty Jannetty part of the uh, shadowy interviews talking about Sean being a homewrecker? Or were they just throwing them in there? Was he already gone? Like, it was just an odd thing to throw in there. I have no recollection of it at all. I think Janetti was just about coming back uh, with the new Rockers gimmick with Leaf Cassidy. So he may be, you know, a very, very undercard talent. I don't remember him being involved in the storyline whatsoever, but who knows? Now, now gentlemen, how, how good is Shawn Michaels on the mic? How, how good is his, his speaking spill, his skills? Better than mine, apparently. How well can he get things over here? Oh, absolutely. Because, He's probably one of the better. Because according to Lawler, he can persuade a female fish to take a walk with him. <laughs> I've, you know, yeah, I've heard I've heard some great things. I've said some great things, too. But this was crazy. Uh, but does, now, I noticed in this match, and I'll pay attention for later, Bulldog matches, um... I might go back and watch them. It seems like he takes a while to get warmed up. Like he doesn't go into the ring and he's a hundred miles an hour. It's like he needs to loosen right. up, get warmed up and everything. But once he's there a few minutes into the match, his skills improve like, Oh, okay. Now I'm warmed up. Now I'm in the moment and all 
Uh, he's got a backbreaker submission where he just has Sean over his shoulder. That's and it is. He has absolutely all of Sean's weight on that shoulder. That's so Sean's the what, old... 220 right now, probably. Yeah, that's the old uh, that's the old Jesse the Body Ventura finish where he picks the guy up as if he's going to do a power bomb, but instead of throwing the guy down and dropping the guy, he holds the guy up over his shoulders. And that was uh, Jesse Ventura's finish. Um, just prior to that, he ended up doing like a one arm, like Michaels kind of had his arm all wrapped up and uh, Bulldog ended up one arm picking him up for an electric chair drop prior to that backbreaker uh, work down. And uh, so lots of power moves towards the mid match to try to get over the whole discrepancy of the, the big strength versus the, the, the speed of Shawn Michaels. Um, just there were some issues that you had alluded to and uh hellions i'll have you describe it in a little bit more detail uh regarding the screaming fan and uh (laughs) the screaming fan that led to very visible frustrations with both competitors during the match why don't you why don't you talk about that she is loud she is ridiculously loud I heard it earlier in the night, and I thought, this has got to be some woman right behind Jerry and Vince. Got to be, just by how clear it was. That was my thought. No, she's on the opposite side from where they are, because you can tell later when Shawn Michaels and Bulldog are looking at her. She's screaming so much, it's throwing them off their game, it's annoying them, it's bothering them. She's probably so loud they can't hear each other in the ring, you know, to call the next spot or whatever. Bulldog at one point just screams at her to shut up and just starts yelling at her. Sean is in a chin lock trying to sell it and says something like, tell that fat cow to shut up while he's selling a chin lock. Like there's going, there's going to an event and booing the heels and saying funny things. And and Lord knows all three of us have done it Just, just to get each other going, just to have fun, you know, just to entertain, but there's a limit. And I think the limit is you don't get yourself over beyond the show. And right. you see super fans in the front row now, and you see people signs, and you see people being annoying, making spectacle. No one paid any money to come see you, the fan, at all. You're not the show. There's being silly, they're saying goofy things and all, but there's a limit to it. This woman's well past that limit. <laughs> she alone is the reason they'll never go back to South Carolina for pay per view. Forget the power <laughs> outage. She's this woman alone. Um, and it's right around this weird botched trip move. I'm assuming Bulldog was going to get his knee up. Michaels is going to run into the knee, flip over, fall out of the ring. But that doesn't happen. Misses it completely and just kind of like stutter steps out of the ring and falls out of the ring. And it's so odd to see. I'm not sure what exactly what's supposed to happen there at all and, yeah that happened after the the screaming confrontation with the girl i mean michaels was just visibly frustrated with the girl during his chin lock he ends up sitting there with both of his hands on his knees not really selling it and then they end up laying down for a second sequence uh selling the the rust hold then they do that the spot and then unfortunately the the double re or the action replay or whatever it is that they call the double feature replay there we go um 
doesn't do any favors for Michaels or Bulldog. It almost looks like Bulldog lifts the wrong knee to do the gut mm-hmm. shot, or the gut the knee, uh, the knee into the gut, and Michaels ends up just rolling through weird, and then off to the floor, and then they end up going into the the towards uh, the final sequence uh, where. Bulldog's running the ropes, and he he plows into the referee pretty hard. Earl Hebner ended up taking a pretty solid re- a bump where he got flown through the top and second ropes to the floor. And this is where finally Owen Hart, who has the manager's license, uh, finally gets involved in the match. I mean, you see him at ringside, and he's actually already injured. Uh, he actually has a cast on his on his arm. I don't know if, uh, if this was a legit injury or it was uh, a callback to Bob Orton, who ended up wearing a cast for almost a year selling an arm injury. But I know Owen ended up having that wrist injury for a while, at least through SummerSlam later that year. Um, Owen creeps into the ring. Michaels ends up super kicking Owen back out of the ring. A second referee runs down. It's Mike Chioda uh, to kind of keep the match going. And then they end up doing the belly-to-back suplex where Michaels gives Bulldog a belly-to-back suplex. Mike Chioda is paying attention to Michaels' shoulders. Um, And then right as the suplex hits, we see Earl Hebner, who was outside of the ring. He has stood up. And in cadence together, he's watching Bulldog's shoulders. And together, they count one, two, three. Crowd goes absolutely nuts for the pinfall finish. But then you hear Bulldog's music start to play, and it's like complete confusion, hush over the crowd as to what's going on. And we see that Kyoto, who was uh, staring at Michael's shoulders, ends up raising Bulldog's hand, and and Finkel gets on, announcing the British Bulldog as the new World Wrestling Federation champion. Diana Hart Smith grabs, uh, goes into the ring, grabs the title belt, and then the second referee starts to wave Shawn Michaels. Uh, raises his hand as the winner to the match itself. And then Diana Hart-Smith grabs the belt and starts to leave ringside and starts walking up the aisle, turning around. She ends up holding the belt up. Unfortunately, she held the belt up upside down. Uh, and then we see Gorilla Monsoon. <laughs> it happens. We see Gorilla Monsoon snatch the belt from unsuspecting Diana Hart-Smith back into the ring, and they end up having a little conference between the referees. Going with the schmaz finish of uh, a double count, so ends up being a no contest with Shawn Michaels retaining, setting up uh, a future pay-per-view match between the two. Now, I like the ending, and it's too bad the match wasn't better, because this was a very interesting ending, very interesting angle, well done camera for it. Well done on Earl's part to be counting. You don't see him from, you know, anything other than the very last camera angle. Like there was a lot I liked here. Um, one, one more quote. And then uh, I'll, I'll surprise you to have something. Uh, actually two more things. I'll surprise you. Um, They're talking about Sean being out of the ring and says, he'll do anything to save the title. That's not Sean's style. History says otherwise for Sean doing weird things to keep a title or rearrange a feud or lose his smile or whatever it might be. Um, I don't know if you two noticed fabulous Moolin Mae Young sitting behind McMahon and Jerry Lawler. Yep. This is before Moolin Mae Young came back during Attitude Era and had, you know, a, a career renaissance, really. 
Um, Mamula was built from being from Florence, South Carolina, so that's their her hometown. And that's and, where, and, and that's where the whole the women's power plant that was talked about on the uh, Vice series, uh, the Dark Side of the Ring, that was based out of Florence. No, no. Would that mean May Young is also based out of Mula's home? Because that's my assumption for for, for the two of them. That they were a couple? I, I mean, we're all good friends, but I don't think any one of us is going to be buried next to the other one. Right. Oh, yeah. no. Mullen, it's well known that they were... Mula and May Young. Is it public? I'm... It, it's kind of like one of those Pat Patterson wink wink kind of deals as regarding right. his lifestyles as well. So, All right. um, now back to back to a woman I've said nothing but good things about here, Diana Hartsmith. When she took off with the title, I was like, now that could have been a storyline. I want my husband to win titles. Titles means more money. It means more prestige. It means more stuff for me and my home and my kids. And just be like, the the woman, the manager, the wife, the whatever, is the title chaser, not him. And she keeps pushing him. Oh, hey, uh, you lost the world title match. Why aren't you going for the Intercontinental title? Why don't you find a friend and team up and get the tag title? Hey, um, you need to attack him and go after world title. Well, I'm a, I'm a good guy now. Yeah, but so is he. So turn bad and get a title shot. Like, like why aren't you in the Rumble? That could have been a heck of a story. For the, the wife pushing them, pushing them, pushing them to get why get titles. And when I saw her take off with the world title, I'm like, "Ooh, I would have liked that." Not what happened, but I I could be really down for that gimmick. Um, it's a shame for the power edge doll. It's kind of a shame they didn't redo this match because I really think all the issues for the matches they couldn't be sure if they were going to have power and have you know the match complete. We know that they did. We know that there's a later pay per view. But it really seemed like this is not, it's phoned in, maybe, I guess, in a lot of ways. It could have been a lot better and probably would have been, you know, during a, a quote, normal night. Yeah, I, I think with this main event, it's just so disjointed. And I don't know if it's just the motivation on Bulldog and Sean. I mean, Sean seems like he could be easily not motivated to do anything and just want to all right like why are we doing this like there's this woman yelling at me and as you guys were talking about his frustrations and and that's why this just didn't click at all and i I just didn't think this match was any good part of it could be and you kind of slipped that word click into there curtain call just happened earlier in the weekend so his two of his closer buddies are now gone so this could be a little bit of a frustration that you know, the group is disbanding. The house was low in terms of, like, attendance. Um, apparently, this arena was set up for 9,500 or so people, and I, I barely 6,000 were even there. So um, lots of things with the power, you know, going off. And then I guess, like I said, it was communicated, like, mid-match. No, this is happening. No, we're not doing a second redo of this one like the other matches on Tuesday. Yeah, so let's why don't we move into night two of Beware of Dog. Let's go to the Tuesday. Um, We have new announcers, guys. JR and Mr. Perfect announcing uh, Beware of Dog night two. And we're going to start with the 
Savio Vega versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay, so there's a lot going on when it comes to stipulations. We have, it's a Caribbean strap match, but if (laughs) Stone Cold wins, then Savio Vega becomes the million-dollar man's limo driver. Now, if Savio wins, then the million-dollar man is gone from the WWF. His career is on the line. Uh, What did you guys think of this match? Um, did the Caribbean strap match live up to, uh, how it was built? I, I thought it was pretty good. Absolutely. This was actually the first, uh, strap match on WWF television. There have been a few since then, uh, first for a pay-per-view first for, uh, for WWF, uh, television audience whatsoever. Uh, there have been, uh, strap matches in the other company in WCW at the time, uh, probably most notable was a year or so back, uh, two years back, I think, uh, between Sting and Big Van Vader. Um, one of the more infamous strap-like matches, it wasn't a strap match, it was a dog collar match between uh, Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine. I want to say that was a Starcade match, I believe, Starcade 83 maybe, yep. uh, which they had a, 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 a very well-known match. But... Uh, some interesting events that led up to the stipulations. In fact, that stipulation with Ted DiBiase saying that if uh, we end, if uh, Steve Austin loses, uh, I'm forfeiting my career. I'm going to be gone. Um, this wasn't originally a part of what would have been the Sunday night pay-per-view. This was actually a stipulation that was added the next night on Monday Night Raw after the pay-per-view. And um, there was certainly some behind-the-scenes goings-on regarding this. And uh, Ted DiBiase had actually given notice to the company that it was his absolute intention of of leaving. He had a lot of creative frustrations with his position in the company and was seeking out a release. His contract, I guess, was going to be up anyway in uh, later on in the summer or early fall. And he ended up leaving as a result of this match and showing up as uh, being one of the the main members to the original formation of the NWO a few months after it got off the ground. DBS, he puts in his notice. Story is Bulldog and Diana actually didn't like the homewrecker angle and they were going to leave, but got talked into staying. There's a commentary between Jim Ross and Mr. Perfect where they talk about DBS, you might have to leave and says, would you want to be leaving the WWF? Not now. I'm like, all right, so Razor just left. Diesel's about to leave. DBS, you just put in his notice. Rumor is he got, what, between 200, 250,000 a year for WCW? 225, two, yeah, three-year deal. 225, 250, and 275. Crazy money as, for, as, for what he had to do. I, yeah, an on-air talent slash manager. This was not a wrestling. He actually he was injured. Um, uh, he had a Lloyd's of London policy that was going to be paying out. His in-ring career was over, and he ended up getting landing that that huge, which ends up being three quarters of a million dollars over three years. Uh, it, it, you know, who who would not take that money? Yeah. You know, it's a lighter schedule and. It's it's a refresh. It's a you know, fr- fresh uh, you know, coat of paint kind of deal. Do something. Yeah, I mean, perfect ends up leaving too and going to WCW as previously discussed. Even though he's the one saying, "Oh, why would you want to leave WWF now?" 
Um, actually, I watched two strap matches this week. The other uh, is preparing for another article on my own site. This is the only one with a strap. <laughs> so, how does that? How does that work? <laughs> is it an invisible know. stand versus invisible man I, in a strap match? I, I, I that'd be good. I watched UWF Beach Blast. There is a strap match on that show of oh Colonel De Beers and Paul Orndorff and a strap match on that one. And there is no strap connecting the two. So this is already better than that. <laughs> they say Savio's never lost a Caribbean strap match. And like you're saying, this is first one WWF. So I'm thinking, well, how many has he had? But I forgot of World Wrestling Council, Puerto Rico. Uh, he was TNT down there and all. Violent as hell match. Great violent match. Really good. A lot of risk being taken. Austin is a completely different wrestler before the neck injury. Just, right. I mean, flat out style-wise and everything. But they're already calling him Stone Cold, but he's not quite Stone Cold yet. But boy, you can see it, though. There's certain little things and all that he's doing that you can just see that character ready to emerge. Really, really interesting to see him. No, you know, you don't want him injured in the Intercontinental match with Owen. Of course not. But that made him have to change his style, which probably made the Stone Cold character more popular. Is that brawler style and all. Because, I mean, him jumping from the top rope down to the floor to come crashing down on Savio, what, I, I'm seeing it and I'm just wincing, thinking like, oh, geez, his neck. Well, no, his, his neck's not shot yet. Like, right. he doesn't have the, the knee braces on. Like, this is a... a, a less injured injured up Steve Austin here, but so weird to see him doing it. Uh, real, I mean, a fun match. Savio, you forget how good he was. You know, never had a t- title in WWE, just kind of there to, you know, put on good matches, help other people look good and all. But great job here. I keep thinking, you know, the more people I see, in these spots, I keep thinking, imagine if Raw and SmackDown were two separate brands back then. They wouldn't have been, because the whole point of the separate brands was after WCW folded. But if you had two shows with a main men's title, secondary men's title, on each, Savio's winning one of those secondary titles on a show, for sure. And Bulldog's probably winning a world title in one of those shows. If you had two to compete for on, on Raw, I mean, SmackDown doesn't even exist yet at this point. But just, you know, I'm thinking of all these people that probably, if they were along today, would have had what you would see as more, quote, successful careers because of the titles that they would have won. Yeah. And just imagine, too, I mean, they had, this is their second strap match in like three nights because they had one on Sunday night as well. Yeah. So just to think of the brutality that went through, at least on this one. Uh, but you know what makes this match even better, in my opinion, is JR is so much better on as an announcer than. Vince and King, I mean, it's night mm-hmm. and day. I mean, it's just to kind of show you how good JR is here, just selling everything and, and talking about the brutality of it. Um, you know, I, you know, Mr. Perfect was okay as the, as the color guy, but really JR with the play by play was incredible. I mean, just goes to show you the talent he has when it comes to that. Well, uh, and a good match for him, for them to start off calling too, because well, Vince does one, two, three, he got him. Oh, no, no, he kicked out. It's like, yeah, we, we know he kicked out. We knew a minute ago before you're done saying the sentence that he kicked out. But Jim Ross can help build up the tension. And is there, 
I, I'm having trouble right now thinking of a match that builds up the tension and the drama like a strap match to go around and touch all four corners. Heel or face, you know, whichever guy, the crowd's getting into it. One corner, two, three. Oh, now they're really getting into it. Is this the ending or are we going to have some some odd thing to interrupt the count before the fourth one and all? Like a well-done strap match like this is really exciting to watch. And, and Jim Ross just putting it over greatly. Like, it, I mean, it was just, it, it was fun. I, from the from the power outage and especially in your house seven being a lot of garbage like this is fun this is really enjoyable and starting to see steve austin starting to see pieces come together and all like i i was enjoying this pay-per-view a lot so uh next we are greeted by Shawn michaels sitting in, in the aol room uh the, could, real- could you see him behind that giant laptop i know it's ridiculous <laughs> i think the thing um with this pay-per-view, which is different than all the other ones, obviously, with all the technical difficulties, is they didn't sell a lot of the stuff. I mean, they made mention to, like, the hotline and different things like that. But with it being two nights and having the power outage and stuff, you you don't see the WWF store promo. You don't see a lot of the send your cable bill in and get a phone card, you know, kind of promotions. Uh, but we do see the AOL room here, of course, that's pretty easy to get set up and maintain. Uh, and then moving on, we finally, finally, finally get the Vader versus Yoko match that we were promised at WrestleMania. So uh, going through and seeing everything, I did notice that on May 26th, Yoko defeated Vader. But then tonight, the changes have been reversed to Vader beating Yoko. Uh, and on the May 26th, the match says it was only three minutes long compared to this one, which was about nine minutes long. So was this just one of those things where they didn't have the power? So they called the audible and this was supposed to be the real ending to the match that was supposed to happen on the f- night one. Yeah, the plan finishes that ha- were supposed to happen on night one. They ended up not giving those away to the crowd. And when they knew they were going to end up rebooking the pay-per-view, the original intended finishes ended up happening for this particular pay-per-view on the night to uh, rehash and rebook. Well, the only the only reason I bring that up, Matt, is because just kind of going through, and of course I'm just getting this right off Wikipedia, is in what turns out to be our main event, which is Goldust versus The Undertaker, night one, Goldust wins the casket match as well. Yep. Um, so, and we'll, we'll touch they that kind of... people run out, though. Okay, because that's yeah. what I wanted to get. Because obviously, yeah. it's, when it's the Undertaker in a for that casket one. match, it'll be a schmaz finish. So, uh, but why don't we why don't we talk about the the very anticipated uh, Vader versus Yoko Tuna match? I thought Matt was going to call it the Bell of the Behemoths, the Hemoths, whatever. There. So, uh, about seven or eight weeks ago, uh, prior to the pay per view, they ended up doing an injury angle on Yoko Zuna where Vader ended up doing a bunch of Vader bomb splashes onto his knee, and they ended up having to cart Yokozuna out on a forklift to get him into an ambulance. Um, There was some real live stuff going on with Yokozuna. We've addressed it before uh, regarding Yokozuna, his deteriorating health, his weight, and so on. Uh, WWF had actually forced Yokozuna to go into a weight loss clinic in order to try to get a grasp, a handle, on the fact that, you know, he was obviously struggling and was out of control. You know, they had originally billed him as being 505 pounds when he originally debuted. 
And now, I mean, he is so much more massive, much slower moving. Uh, they're billing him as like 668 now uh, in terms of size. And this is over, you know, a two and a half, three year run that he's had with the company. So Yokozuna had been out and had been at a weight loss clinic and apparently had lost a, a you know, a good chunk of weight, you know, 33 or so pounds. But unfortunately, a guy of his size, not really too, too much of a noticeable difference. Yokozuna comes to the ring. He looks invigorated, looks like he's ready to go. Um, but as the match progresses and goes on, you see it's a slowdown and slowdown and attempted rest hold and and so on. So a um, couple of things of note, I thought that the, the start of the match, Yokozuna doing his sumo stance charge versus vader doing his football three-point stance and the tackle where they tackle each other in the center of the ring i thought that was a good good fun start with yoko winning that knocking vader down and then doing a quick clothesline over the top rope onto the floor um big uh vader getting caught in a samoan drop from yokozuna i mean you're that's a thousand pounds going down hard in the center of the ring um the the finish of the match with Cornette getting involved and trying to take a swing at Yokozuna as he is going up to the second rope to do the bonsai drop and then he ends up stepping down and Cornette takes a swing with the racket and Yoko catches it. It was a quick swing too and Yoko catches it with one hand and uh, drags Cornette into the ring, gives him a big old punch, attempts to go with the Vader bon- or the bonsai drop onto Cornette and you could see just where this was going with the finish with Vader, you know, slowly crawling closer to Cornette and when you know Yokozuna jumps off the second rope. And, I mean, if you remember Yokozuna when he originally debuted, when he would climb that second rope and come down, you could see the height that Yokozuna would get. When Yokozuna climbed the ropes, when he was on the second rope, like, the rope was pushing down so much, it was almost practically touching the bottom rope. It was unfortunate in in reality of of how much of this weight gain and weight was just out of control. Uh, Yoko going for the bonsai drop and Vader yanking out, uh, Cornette out of the way so that, you know, certainly wouldn't hit that. And now the legs on the rope and drops a hard elbow on Yokozuna's thigh and then does a splash onto the leg while it's over the rope. And then a Vader bomb and the one, two, three pin. It was, uh, it was what it was. And I'm sure they were both glad to get that super heavyweight match done and over with. And starting to set Vader up to for bigger and better things in the world title picture that he was going to be a part of, but unfortunately, it kind of fizzled itself out when he got there. Um, great timing by Cornette. Just well, I mean Vader too to help him, but just to get him out of the ring in time for that splash, I was like, oh, he's got he, he's gonna get hurt. He's gonna get hurt bad. Uh, question for you guys: Who's the only person to have ever slammed Yokozuna? Yeah, I, I thought that too. Apparently, I'm a Johnson's only person who's ever slammed Yokozuna. I mean, I, I remember something taking place. I feel like it was a national holiday. Helicopter. On a, on a big down. boat somewhere, yeah. And it's weird, yeah, they were, weird they would forget about the 4th of July when it was Memorial Day weekend. So <laughs> Very true. Um, 
uh, what was this? I forget. I think it was Mr. Perfect. One of them said bonsai in any language. And I was like, well, no, not really. It's kind of only one, but whatever for it. Uh, the first, he said it was a nine minute match. Are we sure that the first three minutes wasn't just repeated? It was kind of like a glitch in the matrix there where they did the same sequence twice in the match with the same result too. Um, Yoko next Vader down then grabs the leg. I want to say a single leg takedown because it's not quite what it was, but grabs the leg, drops an elbow and then they repeat the whole spot again too. Um, I mean, just not, not a good match. Very odd. Vader gets the wind and then rolls out of the ring and immediately drops and starts selling his leg. Like it's destroyed and injured. Vader, not Yoko, who just had his leg actually, you know, hurt during the match, and that was what led up to the finish. Now Vader's dropped down. I don't know if that was legit, actually injured, banged up then during the match. Um, this is in May. He's got the SummerSlam pay-per-view. If he took time off in between, I, I, I don't know. I think everyone was glad when the match was over, though. Now, where do you guys rank this? Is this one better than the Yoko-Mabel match that we saw, or is it worse? Or about the same. The same. About I mean, the that same. Be one. Yeah, that was a double count out. Um, it... At least this one had a definitive winner. The fans. You're, I love how you laugh at your own jokes. Someone has to. Once again. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the King of the Ring commercial uh, with JR. I love this commercial. I thought it was fantastic. Uh, you know, with the king, it, the the pearly uh, white ring in heaven, and then other kings, whether that's Elvis, King Tut, um, coming after him and, and trying to, uh, to to beat him up. I, I really enjoyed that, that commercial, and it, it really makes me uh, kind of miss those kind of commercials where they're they're having a little fun with it. Um, you know, now it's a lot of computer generated things and, and this really was, you know, uh, just King in the ring and then with bit players all around him. So, um, what did you guys think of the, uh, uh, they kind of showed the King of the ring brackets because the King of the ring tournament started, uh, in between on, uh, Monday night raw, the raw, the previous night, um, anything stand out? I mean, kind of looking back at looking back at it and knowing what happens at this King of the ring, uh, was it pretty obvious who was going to win or just kind of looking at that bracket? Did you think it was stacked in, in any way whatsoever where it was like, Oh, this person's obviously going to make it to the finals at least. I, one of the things I was, I like the fact that they, um, they showed all 16 guys that were going to actually in the tournament itself. They didn't refer to it as the traditional eight man tournament. Um, you know, and they ended up only showing really the, uh, on the pay-per-view itself. They changed it this year where they, on, they went to only the semifinals and the finals being actually on the pay-per-view. So showing the 16 guys that were completely in the tournament itself, um, Thought it was cool, and I, and I remember the, the match, the Yokozuna versus Owen Hart match itself, how they were bracketed up together, so being former tag champions and so on. Uh, I thought that was an interesting. But um, overall, I think it was – I didn't think it was too super obvious who was going to be potentially uh, uh, the winner. Of, of course, the whole thing with Ahmed Johnson, I certainly thought he was going to be a main player, but they had already – 
eliminated that possibility the night before on Raw. So, King of the Ring at the time looked like it was going to be you win King of the Ring and you're in the world title picture. Not quite like you win the Rumble and you get the Mania spot, but almost like you win King of the Ring and you might get the SummerSlam spot. Or you're at least going to be getting title shots. And that, and that was the case, because in 94, when Owen won, he ended up having the cage match with Brett at SummerSlam. And 95, when King Mabel won, he ended up having the world title match against uh, Diesel at SummerSlam 95. So, certainly a, a rational, rational idea. Yeah. So, you see Brett, Owen, Mabel. You look at this field, and certain people do not look like they're about to be put in that world title picture. You wouldn't guess Steve Austin at this level yet is in the world title picture. He's feuding with Savio Vega. Nothing against Savio, but it's not, you know, it doesn't seem main event. Nor, honestly, would you say Hunter Hearst-Homesley is about to be in your main event picture. So, it look, I mean, yeah, we know what happens, but looking at this, it seems wide open. There's other guys that were pushed stronger at the time that I would have thought were going to get it. Yeah, and just kind of going through it, too, I mean, we, we talk about the curtain call, and this was supposed to be Triple H's uh, big big win here. Uh, he loses it on TV to Jake Roberts in a uh, nine-minute match. Um, and then, of course, Jake Roberts goes all the way, and then, uh, you know, the Stone Cold uh, Austin 316 is born at the end of that pay-per-view. But I just, I just kind of, you know, with the way they do the King of the Ring now, they barely show the brackets, um, and, and they don't. They don't build it up as much as as I kind of wish they would now, um, and that's just kind of how it is. Um, of course, we see the segment too, where Goldust gives mouth to mouth to Ahmed Johnson, um, and this this is before, of course, the uh, Goldust Undertaker match. Uh, what did you guys remember of that um, that mouth to mouth kind of angle with Ahmed? Anything particular? Certainly. Uh different time frame a different time period as to what would be i guess socially acceptable or viewed as uh i remember mcmahon on commentary uh saying something along the lines of this is the most uncomfortable thing or a deplorable thing i've ever seen or or so on and then you know while in 96 you could certainly maybe say that but couldn't certainly say that today so certainly uh yeah boy have things changed i was thinking about this too just because kind of that angle um i i think you could do something similar to it but if instead of ahmed it's a woman and a wrestler's like oh i'm gonna give him mouth to mouth kind of forcing a kiss on a, on a woman i think that would play now with kind of the culture that that we're living in um, more so than, you know, it being like a, an androgynous, uh, character, uh, uh, doing that to, uh, to another man. So I think that's kind of how they could, I mean, if they wanted to recreate it, which they wouldn't, but uh, you never know, actually, <laughs> I think about it. um, that I think that would, would probably resonate with, uh, the, the, with the world today. And, and that's the thing. It's not just that it's, you know, a gay kiss to shorthand it it's that one of the people is completely incapacitated in this moment and is not a willing active participant in it 
And yet you can do that with any gender at any time and make it an uncomfortable story that someone would want to seek revenge on. I can't believe you took advantage of me in that state. So I think they could get away with it if it's implied the disgusting part is not who is kissing, it's that someone is being taken advantage of. And then what I always remember is Ahmed just barreling that guy, the random security guy through the door, who I'm assuming is just like random indie wrestler paid to take the bump. But he looks like if someone put Jim Neinhart and Bret Hart in a blender and mixed them up. (laughs) <laughs> he looks like both of them, but neither somehow. He threw the entire Heart Foundation through the door. <laughs> so, um, so why don't we get on to what I guess is our main event of the evening. Um, Goldust comes out with Marlena taking on The Undertaker, of course, with Paul Bearer in a casket match. Um, what did you guys think of this match? And like we alluded to earlier, two different endings. Um for the the casket match that was on Saturday or Sunday night, and the one that was on uh, this Tuesday night, so um, yeah, what did you what did you guys think of this? Couple of things, um, absolutely loved Undertaker's entrance with the music playing, Paul Bearer walking down to the ring, completely pitch black ring, and Undertaker then when the lights go on is already in the ring behind Goldust as Goldust has been looking up the aisle. Uh, other thing that was very obvious, and we had mentioned in the previous uh, podcast regarding the Good Friends, Better Enemies pay-per-view, the whole Ultimate Warrior Goldust, whatever that garbage was for that match, um, Goldust had a knee injury, or at least his leg was wrapped up. So I, I, I think that this gives more credence to the fact that the previous month's pay-per-view he couldn't work. He was in fact injured. So they were just trying to make the most of it. You could tell under Goldust's bodysuit that his knee was still heavily, heavily wrapped up, bandaged up under that bodysuit. So um, certainly working with uh, that injury and whatever limited mobility. I, I think they certainly, the, the two characters opposite of one another, the, the phenom versus the super androgynous character. And then you throw in the, the, the whole idea of the casket match and it's for the intercontinental title. There are just lots of different things from all different angles going around that v- led this match to be quite, quite intriguing and um, very, very interesting finish the way how they played it all off and somehow pulled it off. Given the fact that they ended up destroying and damaging the lid on the casket and we're still able to get the finish the way it was supposed to come out. Yeah. Of course that, um, that finish is mankind coming out of the casket uh, really a great kind of uh, spot, a great ending to the match, I thought, um, and really caught the crowd off guard because they were like, what in the world is going on? Um, but yeah, Kevin, what were your thoughts? Uh, I mean, fine match for Undertaker Gold Dust when it's starting, you know, and this is a casket match for Intercontinental title. I'm like, I know Undertaker never won the mm-hmm. IC belt, but I do not remember how this match ended for Gold Dust to win it. Like, I remember the Rumble when you know, 10, 15 guys had to jump the undertaker for him to lose casket match. Um, I knew that didn't happen here, but I had completely forgotten mankind was in WWF already. Cause we hadn't seen him in, in your house. And I, you know, haven't been exploring enough outside of it. I completely forgot he was around. Um, I love the spot of the caskets empty and then someone appears in it. I know it's, you know, it's pretty much a magic trick. You put it up against the ring. Someone's under the ring already. They crawl through, get up there, you know, lock themselves in place so they're 
you know, higher up in level with the ring. Um, and then how Undertaker escapes later. But even knowing how it's done, I still love that trick. It, it's it's it always pays off. I think. Uh, Goldust goes for a pin at one point during the match, which was a little odd. I don't know if he, you know, got confused for a minute by in time, taking a breather, whatever. Um, and a casket match is pretty much, you know, we've seen one before on in your house, but it, the the setup for it is usually the same: big move, big move. Let me roll you over. Or you don't quite go in yet. Then you hit big move on me, and then roll me over, and I don't quite go in yet. Like it's it's pretty simple booking, but it's always fun for, it, especially like as close as you can get it when Undertaker just shoots his hand out at the last moment before the casket closes. You know, the the more near falls you have in it, the more fun that they can be. But, I mean, great thing with Mankind. I forgot about Mankind and Goldust being paired up for a while. Uh, Mankind and Undertaker, of course, have phenomenal matches and everything. Um, Marlena's just kind of there, but no one steals her cigar or chair this time out. So, I guess she's in a better mood. How about the whole uh, reversal of the finisher with... Uh... Goldust giving the Undertaker a tombstone pile driver, and he rolls Taker into the casket, and Taker's full body is in the casket, is just about to shut the door, and Taker just gets his right arm out just in time to prevent the actual closing of the casket. Then Goldust tries to force the casket lid down by jumping on top, like laying down on top of the casket to try to jump up and down to force it. Undertaker completely pushes the lid off to throw gold dust and then completely rips the, uh, the entire lid off of the casket. The hinges completely off. Uh, so then you got both of the referees are looking at each other like, uh, we got to pick up the, the lid and get it back on there. So the finish was unique with mankind. Um, Coming out of the casket when Undertaker had given a tombstone to Goldust and ended up being in the casket and putting the mandible claw on the Undertaker, uh, rolling the Undertaker into the casket, throwing the casket on. And the thing that stood out is weird with the finish is that you can clearly see that the casket, because it had gotten ripped off its hinges, the casket was not completely sealed closed. So it was like hanging off like diagonally, but then mankind goes and pulls a lockout and attempts to lock the casket door when the casket itself wasn't even completely sealed shut whatsoever. But you got the cooler effect of the smoke coming out of the casket and the gaping holes because the door wasn't as sealed on as tight. So cool ending, cool finish with the undertaker being gone after the match opening up the casket and it's completely empty on the inside. Were they going for when at the end, when they finally get the casket open to reveal taker isn't there that when they opened it up, the smoke would have just came up through that or was the smoke seeping out because of the broken casket? I think it, I think they probably were going to do what you had suggested that had the thing been completely sealed shut that them opening up the casket, all of the smoke would have just met a monstrous cloud. And then out you look inside completely gone. But when they open up the casket, there's very little smoke left and it's just completely empty. So it kind of destroyed the illusion of the undertaker disappearing, 
But it was a cool visual to see that once the sealing of the casket and then all of a sudden this body change or whatever to the Undertaker and him disappearing so on was was happening from within. Once again, though, too, this would have been your original ending to that Sunday show. So let me just throw this out there. That Sunday show, you would have saw this ending where the Undertaker kind of gets, you know, mankind hops out of the casket. Um, and then you also would have saw the your main event or your Michaels title match being that double pinfall, um, which as a, as someone that would have bought a ticket for it, I mean, you're you're going to see The Undertaker, you're going to go see your world title match, and both endings to the match are just kind of schmozzy finishes right. to, to it. So um, kind of fascinating how that works. Um, Kevin, any anything else on this match? It's an overbooked pay-per-view overall. It, gimmicks-wise, ending-wise whatever so i i see where you're saying you have been like what the hell is happening here for seeing you know odd ending after odd ending after odd ending it kind of doesn't flow that way because of the part one part two but you're right if you were seeing it live in order it would have been weird maybe i mean honestly that justin hug bradshaw jake roberts one you throw that in there in between casket match and main event it gives a buffer in between the two endings at least and, and I understand the endings as part of a greater storyline, but you're right. All in one pay-per-view, I would have been like, what the hell did I just watch and spend all this money on if I was there live for all that? I And and honestly, everyone's kind of tied up now, so I'm sure they're, you know, a lot of times like Raw goes off the air and it's not ending, but then they have a big, you know, dark match main event thing with some stars and you, you know, all the fans go home happy. There's no one left to wrestle for this one. Like, that main event probably was the main event. Yeah, I'm not sure what the, the Superstars main event was, um, but the, the house show main event, the, the dark match main event, excuse me, after um, the first night was Ultimate Warrior versus Owen Hart. I'm going to guess Warrior 1. Yeah, Warrior 1 in four minutes. So it's just <laughs> a kind of odd, odd um, event. So... I think that wraps it up for the pay-per-view. Any final thoughts on that, guys? Anything that, that stood out that we didn't hit? They're making, the, they're making the best that they could, given the power outage and, you know, trying to still keep the fans invested in the show by offering the free uh, redo on the pay-per-view the, night, the next night later. And, you know, I, I, it's certainly, you know, uh, on the replay, and I, I don't remember whether or not they did it in a way where – if they did Michael or if they did the Mark Marrow Triple H and then the main event and then they went live or if they sandwiched in the live stuff in the middle and still finished with the the taped Michaels versus Bulldog main event being at the end. I'm not sure. I can't remember if they went back and forth or if they did it just how it appears on the network. The pay-per-view was as best it could be given the, the circumstances for what they were in. Yeah, I, I feel like the replay was sandwiched. I'm not entirely sure. It's it's the way I rec- I remember it. So actually, when I was watching it on network, I thought, oh, they're playing the main event now. But I mean, I I've, I've also you know watched and read stuff from before and realized that my memory was just wrong on it. You know, or maybe it's Mandela effect. I'm not sure. Uh, but you're right. Like the fact that they pulled off anything is an achievement. It just seems too like this pay per view was cursed because. 
I mean, okay, so obviously bad thunderstorm power goes out. And that's that's obviously, you know, Mother Nature bad luck. But then your main event for night two, the casket lid breaks. <laughs> like, it's just one thing after another. It's like, get me out of this match, this this event, and let's move on to the next thing. So uh, I, I, I think I'm in the same boat as that. Let's move on to the next thing. Um, any match on here that even cracks? I mean, nothing no. comes close, right? No. Nothing what, even what remotely close to the top three. No. Yeah, I was going to say, we only got top three. Best match, uh, Caribbean strap match, I would say. I would say the strap match, yeah. Yeah. Now it's time to rank these. All right. <laughs> Let's go. Let's start at the bottom. Is this better than Good Friends, Better Enemies? Which is our last, the last pay-per-view we did is one of the worst ones. Is this one better than that one? I, I personally think that there were more matches that were serviceable compared to the Good Friends, Better Enemies, granted, that had the the top, uh, the best main event that I remember so far uh, for all of our rankings. But uh, overall, um, I, I'd probably put it just above Good Friends, Better Enemies. It, it's definitely above. Yeah, I mean, yes, there, there's that great main event, but that's it on that card, and there's a lot of fun, serviceable, enjoyable, even though things are weird, you know, there's there's good stuff on this card, much more so than previous one. And I would disagree. I would say this is the worst one. I did not like this at all. I don't know if it's the momentum of the event uh, going on. I, I'm personally offended that I didn't get any sunny and I didn't get any um, shilling of merchandise. So me personally, for what I enjoy out of these pay-per-views, uh, those two things are missed. But, of course, majority rules when it comes uh, to, to the house show ranking. So uh, we will put this above uh, good friends, better enemies. Is it better than the lumberjack pay per view? No, it, it, no, and I mean, it, it maybe it could have been, you know, as one show as as originally booked and planned and all, but as it exists, no. Yeah, I just think I think with the uh, and then with that main event with Bulldog and, and Michaels really being taken out and frustrated by that, I think that kind of that hurts it as well. Um, yeah, so next week. Uh, we got in your house number nine international incident. Uh, the main event will be uh, Camp Cornette versus the People's Posse. Uh, ironically enough, uh, July twenty first, nineteen ninety six. Some would say this is the second most memorable uh, six man tag match that month on pay per view. No, did something happen that match? Yeah. I think so. I think so. Something a little bit happened. Um, so I think that's going to do it for us. Educator, uh, anything you want to say to the audience before we leave? Ah, thank you, everybody, for tuning in, listening to our show. Again, I encourage you all to check out the Retro Network and the various offerings and podcasts and, and articles that they post. Uh, certainly uh, uh, spread the word about our show and, and spread the word about many and many other opportunities and offerings that the podcast or uh, that the Retro Network itself presents. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, and, w- and once again, I want to say, uh, you know, thank you guys for, for coming into our house, um, enjoying watching these pay-per-views with us. Make sure you're looking out for our food truck that's coming out very, very soon. Selling hawk hoagies and uh, <laughs> Yoko tuna sandwiches. I love uh, Yeah, that's all I got for you guys. Of course, you can follow me at Maddie Treats um, on the Twitters. And, uh, yeah, once again, thank you to the retro network. A lot of great stuff every day. Uh, listen to them. It's really good stuff. So, uh, let me pass it to the mass library who will take us home.
All right. As long as power doesn't go out, you can find my work across the internet at Mask Library. Thank you to Richard Reader for our logo. Thank you to the Retro Network for supporting us. Thank you to WWE Network for providing this content. Thank you to my two co-hosts here for all that they have done for this show. And uh, thank you to all of you listeners for inviting you into your homes. And we promise that we won't wreck it. <laughs>